Welcome to the Something to Consider podcast. Our mission is to take a closer look at basic biblical principles and find a way to practically live them out in our everyday lives. Thank you for listening. Enjoy this episode. So let's set the scene here. Jesus went up to a mountain with Peter, James, and John. While he was there, he was transfigured into this dazzling manifestation of light and glory. He then has a conversation with Moses and Elijah. It's a miraculous moment where the disciples got a glimpse at the true majesty of Jesus. Then the Father shows up in a cloud and says, This is my Son, and I am very pleased with him. Listen to what he says. Then Moses and Elijah disappear, and the four make their way back down the mountain. So when they get back, they see that a large crowd has gathered around the other disciples. A man had brought his son to be delivered from an evil spirit that wouldn't let him speak, but the disciples weren't able to make it happen. So now we get to Mark chapter 9. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So this guy shows up because he's heard that Jesus heals the oppressed and the sick, but after the disciples lay hands on him and pray for him, nothing changes. He was told one thing, but now he's experiencing another. I wonder if you've ever been there where what you see doesn't match what God said, when what you expected doesn't match what you're experiencing. Verse 19 says, You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. When you first read this, you may think that it was a general statement to all the people around, like to all of humanity, like you unbelieving generation, how long do I have to stick around with you guys? But it was most likely to his disciples. You see, Jesus has been healing people and working miracles and feeding thousands and walking on water, and now they can't get this demon to leave. They laid hands on the boy and it doesn't work. So inevitably, you can imagine that doubt begins to creep into the disciples. Can we really do this? Have you ever tried to do something that you were certain God asked you to do, but it just isn't working? Verse 20, so they brought the boy to Jesus. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? Let's pause right there. Now, just imagine that Jesus shows up. A demon throws this boy into a convulsion. He's on the ground, rolling around, foaming at the mouth. His father's standing there, as you can imagine, distraught and helpless. And the first thing Jesus does is ask a question. Like, how long, how long has this been happening? What are his symptoms? You know, can you see it coming? Is it totally random? <laughs> Maybe it's in his diet. Have you tried a food allergy test? I mean, Jesus is totally nonchalant. He's not concerned about a thing. And so the father, most likely shocked and confused, says... Uh, from childhood, he answered. It, it often throws him into fire and water to kill him. You know, like, do you need my insurance card before you treat him? A copay? What is going on? This man has watched his son have seizures, convulsions, lose his ability to speak, get thrown into water and fire, and so he comes to the only place he knows to come, and it doesn't work. The prayers aren't working. The laying on of hands didn't work. But all these other people got their healing. All these other people have been healed by Jesus and his disciples, but my son is still in bondage. 
People said you could do it, but at this point, I'm starting to doubt it. You can assume that the father's getting impatient. At this point, he says, look, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now, remember that Jesus has just come down from a mountaintop experience, literally. He was just transformed into majesty and glory that you couldn't even look at. He was just in the presence of Moses, Elijah, and the Father himself. You see, Jesus can do it. There's no question if he can, but the humanity of this Father, the reality of human emotion and rationalization kicks in, and in his heart, he isn't certain that Jesus can do it. And you can almost hear the the humor in Jesus' response. Verse 23, he says, if you can. Like, like, if I can? What do you mean, if I can? Now, keep in mind that this man's son is most likely still rolling around on the ground, foaming at the mouth, and Jesus takes a moment for comedic relief. Like, if you only knew who I was just talking to, then Jesus says, everything is possible for one who believes. It almost seems like Jesus is kind of steering this guy, trying to help him get to the place that he needs to be so he can prove a point. It almost seems a little antagonistic, like Jesus is waiting for something. And then so full of frustration, I'm sure, and at the end of his rope, the Father says something that resonates through all of human history. In verse 24, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. This father says, I believe you can do it, but I'm doubting that you will. I believe you are who you say you are, and you're going to do what you say you're going to do. But right now, I'm having a hard time trusting that you will, because what I'm seeing isn't matching what you're saying. What do you do when you believe in something, but you doubt it at the same time? It's at this moment that I believe Jesus got what he was looking for. He saw a man who is out of options, out of resources, and even though scripture doesn't say it, I believe there was a moment there after this man raised his voice that Jesus just smiled, a moment where Jesus thought to himself, there it is. That's what I was looking for. Not this fake facade of supernatural faith, not this Christianese answer to an unsolvable problem, but real emotion, real intimacy, a moment when he was 100% honest with the doubts that he had. We often think that the answer is more faith and less doubt. But scripture says if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, we can move a mountain. And we get into this mindset like if one seed can move a mountain, maybe two or three seeds, what could that do? But what if the solution isn't more seeds, but more honesty? It isn't more faith, but more transparency. Doubt has such a terrible connotation to it. So many Christians believe that doubt represents spiritual immaturity. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if I do have any doubts, I can't be pleasing to God, right? Doubt has this stigma attached to it that says, there is no doubt in the kingdom. So if you have doubt, maybe the kingdom isn't for you. And I wonder how many people have left the faith because after they believe, the doubts stick around and they don't know what to do with them. They saw it as a reflection of their devotion instead of a beacon for breakthrough. But what if faith isn't the absence of doubt, but instead it's the means to overcome it? I'm going to say that again. What if faith isn't the absence of doubt, but it's the means to overcome it? The thing is, you can't overcome something until you acknowledge that it's there in the first place. I think the key to this whole thing is to imitate the Father in the story. 
Be honest with God. Sometimes life is frustrating. Sometimes it's hard to believe that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. But when we're honest with God, it gives him an open door. We're saying, God, shine your light on the deepest corners of my heart. I want truth. I want to believe. Help me with my unbelief. Of course you're going to have doubts. Just don't let those doubts become a dead end. It's something to consider. (laughs) 